Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line. We're talking Chicago Cubs baseball. We're talking Major League Baseball. Episode number 51, folks, as we start off this magical year, 2022. Lots to talk about here tonight. Some Cubs front office news. A lot of Major League Baseball media-related news. Big story with Ken Rosenthal. ESPN shuffling their presentation of Sunday Night Baseball, both on TV and on the radio. We've got thoughts on that. We'll have some fun talking about this lockout. Also, a buddy of the show, a fan of the show, Mike Vanderhorst, with a suggestion for a bit for us here, reacting to a piece that just ran in the Boston Globe Sunday edition about ways to improve the sport of baseball. We'll go through that. We'll talk number 51 in Chicago Cubs history. We got some bears. We got some bulls. But happy New Year's, guys. It's good to see you both. We got a whole nother year here behind the yellow line. You know, Randall, today's a special day. This is the first Friday, the first end of the week of the year. How did you muster getting back into the flow of things here week one? Uh, Ronan, uh, like for a lot of people, it was a little rough getting back into the swing of things. But, uh, you know, you do it once and it'll it'll get easier from here, hopefully. Uh, that's, that's all I can say is that I managed. Jeremy, happy New Year. Happy New Year to you guys. I'm uh, excited to be here in the Big 22. And I know we have some big things coming up, you know, pretty soon. And uh, hopefully pretty soon we start to actually hear some real, uh, you know, CBA type news. Yeah, we're getting close now as we dip into January. We are less than one week away from a big birthday for Randall J. Sanders. Big things coming up. Everybody's counting down that. That is going to be this Thursday, January the 13th. So make sure you get your happy birthday tweets out there for Randall. Um, one other thing sort of on that front that I was thinking about is here we are in the new year. It's 2022. There's a chance of a Cubs World Series championship, right? New year. We got a chance to do it. Always. You know that I always <laughs> used to say the happiest day of the year, the most optimistic day of the year is opening day. It's the most beautiful day of the year. Um, but you know what? The new year starts. You could be optimistic in January. You know, you could put down your money on the Cubs. Let's go. It's we're ready to go. Anything can happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm starting to get that itch. It was sort of sinking into me here that, yeah, the CBA still has to get worked out. But once it gets worked out, about a month away here from the start of spring training. One of the things we're going to do a little bit later in the show is we're going to make our predictions for when this is going to end. Some fans of the podcast sent in their suggestions. If you've got any ideas on when this thing is going to end, send us a tweet at BTYL podcast. We had a poll up right around New Year's asking folks, what are they looking forward to here in 2022 on this podcast? More Randall J. Sanders. That's what the fans want. That's what we've got. And Randall, We've got some Chicago Cubs news, some front office related news. Ed Blankmeyer, a longtime college baseball coach hired by the Chicago Cubs. He's going to be the new minor league coordinator. Mentioned he was at St. John's for a long time. Most recently was a manager for the single A Mets organization there in Brooklyn. The Cubs farm, uh, uh, Jeremy Farrell, rather, who was with the Cubs in a minor league role, left to become the farm director at Cincinnati. That opens up this position. And the Cubs bring in a longtime, well-respected college baseball coach. What's the main priority here when you're the minor league coordinator with the Cubs in 2022? I, I think when you're bringing in a longtime coach like this, college coach, your main priority is in terms of development. And I think that's a big reason why teams have gone and I've hired a lot of college kind of coaches. I mean, you look at the Cubs staff, Craig Driver was a college coach. Um, they're focusing on development because that's where a lot of the top developmental works are taking on. 
And a guy like Ed Blankmeyer, that's kind of a surprising one. He's usually like assistants or lesser, but like that's a guy who spent was a very successful college baseball coach, won multiple big East championships when that was like a thing at St. John's spent his whole career in New York. So that's kind of interesting that he's coming, you know, outside of that kind of bubble to go to the Cubs. But, you know, that's kind of a big time hire. I feel like, you know, and it's, it's an interesting hire to me. I, I I'm actually very curious of how this came about. Well, you know, people leaving the Mets, uh, it's not really a surprise <laughs> anymore. I, you know, I, I feel like most people, most sane people are doing that. But yeah, with the lockout still going, this is the kind of news we get. And it's always good to see the Cubs developing the minor league staff. As Jeremy said, Ed Blankmeyer has uh, a long reputation as a coach and as a, a developer of players. And again, that's the kind of moves on the margins that we get when you can't have any player moves. We've seen the Cubs hire an assistant hitting coach during the lockout, and now they're bringing in a new minor league field coordinator. Uh, this is not not even a snack, honestly. It's more of a, a tiny morsel, and I hope we get a little more to live on sooner versus later. <laughs> well, I, I, oh. I mean, it's an important job, though, yeah. for especially for a team that's rebuilding or at that point where your farm is going to be churning out, hopefully, a lot of talent over the next half decade to decade. Yeah, and, and Ed Blakemeyer was an eight-time Big East Coach of the Year, so I think he could probably coach a little bit. And, uh, you know, and it, it's just interesting to me because he's a guy who 23 years at St. John's, right, you mentioned, and then a year or two years, well, I think the COVID year probably took off, but with the Brooklyn Cyclones. So that's 24 or five years just straight in the city of New York, not to mention before that he was a longtime assistant former player at Seton Hall, which is still in that area. So it's it just curious to me, like, he, he's he's getting out of New York. He's never like been out of New York in his life, and he's getting out of New York and taking a new job, um, as it as this and at at sixty five years old almost or probably older 67. closer to seven yeah sixty seven years old. So you know it's it's interesting, but it, the guy's clearly a good coach. So I think the main focus there is development. I think you know we saw the Cubs focus so much on young talent and acquiring with these trades, very focusing on young raw talent. So I think that then the next step there is you have to develop those pieces. And so you need to bring in guys that can coach and teach the fundamentals and develop these guys into baseball players. And I think that's why you bring in a guy like Ed Blakemeyer. He's also got a Cubs connection, the college coach of Frank Schwindel. So how about that, Randall, a connection here to this current Cubs roster? Anytime you can come up with a connection to Frank Schwindel, you should, because, and, you know, that's probably going to be funny for Schwindel when, when, and if they make it to spring training, Schwindel, we know his journey, uh, minor, long time in the minor leagues, brief cups of coffee in the major leagues makes it to the Cubs. He's going to show up to Mason Shazam. There's his college coach waiting for him. So I'm sure that'll be fun for him. You know, I got a chance to broadcast some St. John's baseball games when he was their manager back when I was calling Big East games at USF. Uh, so I saw the name and, and I, it was sort of in my head, like, I know that guy. How do I know that name? And began to put it together a long time as an assistant there before taking over the head coaching job, eight 40 win seasons. It's not easy to do at a place up there near New York. So a lot of interesting things here, but he comes into the organization at a very exciting time. I imagine for him, you know, to give up managing, which is something he obviously loves, he must really feel like this is a unique opportunity for him. And it's going to give him a chance to not just work with one team, but sort of rove around the minor leagues and really establish a vision for what especially the offense is going to look like for the minor leaguers over the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm assuming because especially with the a lot of turnover the Cubs have had in the front office, especially since the end of the Theo and COVID came and they lost a lot of positions. And now they seem to be hiring back some positions. 
So I imagine there's going to be a lot of, you know, talk and, and conversation over, you know, setting up new developmental processes that, you know, the Cubs even started before Theo came, uh, left in 2019, really uh, bringing in a lot of different, you know, and I, and I, I imagine this can be a huge component of it. And he's probably going to get a lot of responsibility there in terms of development. And I don't know. I, I, I like it. I think it's a pretty cool hire. I mean, as he's very experienced, 67 years old, as we said, and, and as you mentioned, New York's not really a, baseball town you would think of in terms of developing talent you know you obviously yeah. the yankees and the mets and there's a lot of fans there but you're not hey marcus stroman's from new york so you know they have some talent but he, he's done he's put guys in the league uh i think joe panic went to st john's as well so like he's had you mentioned frank schwindel he's had successful players so i i think it's a very interesting hire especially when everybody's going so young to bring in a guy who's 67 years old randall have you been to new york city I have been in New York City. Yes, I have family in that part of the country. So I've been to New York, New Jersey more than a few times. I, I want to see Randall in the Big Apple. That's something I've not had the chance to enjoy. And so one of these years, Randall, Cubs are at Yankee Stadium or at Shea or uh, uh, City Field. We're going to go out there and I want to see I just want to see you in the big city. If, if I pull a photo from my last trip to New York City and send that to you, does that does that sate that desire, Ronan? Because that's a little well, cheaper, a little safer right now. Well, I definitely need it live. I need the yeah. Randall in person. But yes, any photo, I'll add it to the archive and make sure we can. Don't you want to go to City Field, Randall? You know what? It's not really high on my list of ballparks to visit. I'm not going to lie. You I know, actually if I, if agree I, with you. If I end up there, it I, I don't mind ending up there. But it, it, you know, it's not really on my to visit list. So I sort of agree with you there. Um, I do want to get to City Field. I want to get to all the ballparks, and it's a park that I haven't been to. But I agree, Randall, with the sentiment that it's not a particularly attractive-looking ballpark. It, it just looks like a dollar, a, a pile of money, right? And all ballparks are, but it's just inundated with advertising. There's video boards all over the place. You know, it's very New York, so maybe it works for them. It's got to be better than uh, Old Shea Stadium, which – that place could not have been nice. We know Ron Sano hated that place, but it isn't a particularly exciting ballpark. And sometimes I like watching the Cubs play in road parks like Pittsburgh, just because it's pretty. I never get that feeling when the Cubs are playing at the Mets. Yeah. What I always say about the Mets is that they, they suck up a ton of oxygen and demand a ton of attention. And then they go on to be unworthy of all of that. That city field gives me that same vibe. I just think it'd be fun to see Randall with all the native New Yorkers at a Mets game. I, I feel like yeah, that would be a fun experience to see Randall enjoy a Mets Cubs game surrounded by New York. You know, now, I'll, I'll say this, get a Coney uh, Island dog or something. I have, I have a cousin who is a Mets fan and he was in Chicago some years ago. He came to a Cubs game with me and cool. Ike Davis. Um, yeah, he Ike Davis, who was playing for the Pirates at the time. It was not a Cubs-Mets game, but Ike Davis, of course, the former Met, he comes up to bat, and for his at-bat, my cousin was off getting a hot dog. Davis managed to single into left or something. He, my cousin comes back. I told him, you missed an Ike Davis base hit to left, and he says, wow, more than he ever did for us. So wow. Mets, Mets fan damage is a unique damage, much in the same way Cubs fan damage is. Uh, please note that I'm not handing it to the Mets under no circumstances. Do you got to hand it to them? But yeah, I'm, I'm just surprised there was no like Jewish brotherhood there with like Davis. Well, speaking of Jewish brotherhood, let's change topics here a little bit. Uh, Ken Rosenthal. Yeah. Fired from the major league baseball network. Now, some people might say, well, that's harsh language. His contract wasn't renewed. Yes. When your contract is not renewed, it's called getting fired. He was with the network for 12 years and apparently the crux of this, 
He also, of course, works for Fox Sports, broadcaster. He works as a baseball analyst and reporter and all that for The Athletic. During the pandemic, for The Athletic, he penned an article that was critical of Commissioner Rob Manfred. So, your job at MLB Network, gone. Are we surprised at all to hear that Ken Rosenthal out at the PR machine that's the MLB Network? I am. I, I, I honestly am. I, I think I, I just can't imagine being that thin skinned that because Ken Rosenthal is not like some sort of MLB hater or hating on the commissioner. Nothing he wrote is really that. I mean, it's not like he's been like a pro union guy. He's more than likely been or more than been kind of middle of the road and sometimes favors, you know, the owners. So it's not like he's done anything. So it just seems ridiculous to me that Rob Manfred would be this tight wadded over tight over it and get rid of him. And I, I, I didn't think in, you know, this era, like it's so obvious, you know, as it's come out that that would be something they would want to do. So yeah, it does surprise me. It, it surprised me at first, but thinking about it doesn't surprise me at all because MLBN is kind of crap. Uh, I don't have the channel. So I've never watched it for any extended period. It's one of those things, Ronan, we'd watch if we were hanging out and we needed something to put on background noise late at night. It's one of those things that's on maybe at the bar sometimes, but I've never watched it for any extended period. What I have seen is, is nothing worthwhile. It's, it's talking heads screaming at each other, being wrong more so than not. So that's the, the quality of the product they put out there. And to that end, and of course, being owned and operated by the league, it doesn't surprise me that they are this state-run media who puts anyone critical of them in the gulag. So it doesn't really surprise me, honestly. <laughs> it, it's uh, got my interest. The timing's actually very interesting, too. I, I've shared with this podcast and with you all, I teach a media and technology class at a university. These are sport management students. And one of the things that I tell them in asking them, where do you get your news? Like if you're a Nuggets fan or an Abs fan, where do you get your news? And sometimes they raise their hand and say, oh, Altitude TV. That's like the marquee network of the Nuggets and Abs. And we talk about bias. This is the perfect example of when you work for a network like that and you're critical of ownership or management, you lose your job. So you're not really getting news. It's sort of PR and a lot of fluff pieces on the team. That's the kind of stuff that you get on a network. What is surprising to me about this is there's a lot of polarizing figures in sports media, particularly over the last 20 years with social media, with cable television. It's sort of optimized bad takes or hot takes and getting them out there. Does anybody not like Ken Rosenthal? The guy is widely respected from his peers, from writers. If you look at the backlash from players to this news, including Marcus Stroman, the guy is beloved across baseball. He's well-respected. That's what surprises me, that Major League Baseball and Commissioner Manfred can be, again, so tone-deaf that here you have someone that people actually like, but because he was critical, he's out the door. We all know what I think of certain members of the national media in multiple sports, some of whom I would not piss upon if they were on fire. Ken Rosenthal is one of the few out there who I, for the most part, trust and respect his work. As you said, he's almost universally beloved across all, all different fields. And again, to see that MLB network is so thin skinned that they have to get rid of him for being critical of King Rob Manfred. It's just not a good look. They, they don't care. I don't think, because if they cared, I think the network would be operated very differently. So they don't care. It's still not a good look. And I think Kesner Rosenthal uh, will be just fine. He's got his other ventures and it's, it's a good, it's a good on-air personality who no longer has to sully himself with MLBN. 
Randall really hates MLB Network. <laughs> I, I mean, I think working for, I mean, if you're going to work for, the, I, I don't have a problem with like a lot of their shows. I mean, Mad Dog's terrible, but whatever. Um, I think, I, I, I think, and I agree with you, Ronan, that Ken Rosenthal was a huge asset for them. And they knew he was a huge asset for him because I didn't even realize, I don't think last year he was out for the two month season, except for the trade deadline. And he came, they let him back on air for the trade deadline because they knew what an asset he was, you know, rumor mongering, all that stuff on the trade deadline. I'm, I'm not really rude because he actually has information, but, you know, that drives viewers and stuff like that. So to get rid of him because of mild critiques of Rob Manfred, I think that's extremely surprising um, yeah. because he's a moneymaker for them. He is one. Of, he gives them credibility. He gives them like now you remove their top guy who's their most credible person on he so he's you know it does it shows like how as you said tone deaf they are and i it, it's not a good sign to me i it's 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 a pretty bad sign i would think because like if they're not able to accept this then like how are these negotiations gonna go if any mild thing that they don't like like it's it's i i think it's it's a pretty poor outlook for me and Jeremy, to your point where you said you didn't realize that he had been suspended previously, does anybody actually watch MLB Network? Does anybody? <laughs> I'm just saying, listen, listen, I'm just saying, does anyone actually turn MLB Network on consciously to see what their talking heads are saying? I'm not saying nobody watches it, but I'm saying, does anybody actively flip to it because they say, oh, this person is on the desk today. I want to see what they have to say. And maybe the answer is yes. But I actively flip to it when there's major baseball news. Okay, sure. When there's major baseball news, but that's, that's really talking about baseball. And I flip to it when there's other things like if, you know, if there's trade rumors, trade things, you know, off season stuff. I'm listening to it. I mean, I don't agree with everything everybody says on there. A lot of people say dumb things, but some people say interesting things or things I haven't thought about. So, you know, I, I, I watch it every once in a while. I don't watch a ton of like live TV unless it's sporting. But, you know, if there's some major thing on, I will flip to it. I watch it more than I watch ESPN. You've given me a reason to bitch about Dick Monfort today. So here we go. I remain adamant that it is absolutely ridiculous to me that an MLB network stream is not included with MLB TV. So last year I bought MLB TV, I bought MILB TV, and I can't get MLB network streaming on it. I think that's crazy. It should be built into it. Okay, so it's not. I don't have cable. If I had cable, I would watch MLB network. And it's not that because I need Wanker A or Wanker B telling me what to think about the game. It's because I just want highlights. I want to see stats. I want to see players doing things. This time of the year in particular, I wish I could just put on a channel and see some of the best defensive plays of last year. And that's the type of programming that I do find appealing. I can put it on mute. I can put some music on. I could do other things, but I still have that baseball going on in the background. And you're just seeing guys and players and things that otherwise wouldn't see. So I wish I had it. And I, it really bothers me that it's not included with the MLB TV subscription. I think in season, at least, you should have access to that channel just sort of streaming in the background. I would have it on all of the time if it was available to me. And unfortunately, it's not. Do you have MLB TV subscription now during the offseason or no? I actually do. And in the past, oh. I haven't. Um, I was watching This Week in Baseball from like 1976 the other day. It was <laughs> <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> because I feel like. I, and I don't know if it's something that's I ha, I just have because I, I feel like if I go to MLB TV, I think like I can watch MLB Network on there now. But I, I feel like that's only been like a recent thing, like within the last like during this offseason. 
like in the well, past. I have to look. Been, yeah. Dick Monfort, I know you're waiting for an apology. I don't know. I could be wrong. Not, but I, 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 well, like... I'm I'm pessimistic until I see it myself. And I'll yeah. try it after the show here tonight. Um, but I I it's just something I know in the past I was yeah. consistently looking for. I just want to have that background noise because that's the stuff I like. And I know they show archive games not as much as they probably could or should. They rely way too much on that Ken Burns documentary, which looks yeah. awesome. It's great, but Good Lord, I can't see it again. I, it's just, I need a decade off from it before I ever watch it again. That stuff gets a little bit tiring. They could be a little bit more invested in uh, old games. They could just be a lot more creative in general in, in churning out content with the, think of all the highlights that they have going back over the last 80 years. They could be so much better about the stuff that they put together. But and there's this, not money this is going to sound, this is going to sound odd coming from someone who just a few minutes ago said he doesn't have and doesn't watch the network. But that's something it seems like we all accept is that they could do so much more with what they have. You are the television arm of Major League Baseball. You have access to so much archived media, so much history, and you're just not creative enough to do a whole lot with it. So, again, it's odd to hear me say uh, 10 minutes after I said I don't watch and I don't have the network, but they could do so much more with it and they don't. I, I would just say that recently I had it on because they were airing the Naked Gun. And I was watching the Naked Gun, and I thought it was weird. And I was watching with like a group of people, and and they didn't understand why every commercial is for baseball. And I'm like, because we're watching MLB Network right now. Let's uh, stay on the topic of media. We got some news here a little bit earlier today. ESPN shuffling Sunday Night Baseball, and there is a local connection here. Boog involved on the radio side, but let's start with TV. Now we knew that. Uh, Matt Vaskersian was going to be out as the play-by-play -play voice. There was a lot of speculation. Would Boo go from radio to TV? Jason Benetti, the White Sox broadcaster, also among the names in the mix to be the play-by-play -play voice. So what does ESPN do? They pick the worst choice of those three. Carl Ravitch going from the studio role to the primary play-by-play -play broadcaster of Sunday Night Baseball. The new analysts here, this is interesting, Eduardo Perez and David Cohn. So let's go one by one here. Jeremy, when we talked about this off air yesterday, you were like, I'm really excited about David Cohn. Why should I be excited about David Cohn? Well, I think that David Cohn and and I, and, I've, and I just from watching Yankees games. And first of all, I don't think the Yankees have a good broadcast, to be fair. I think they're kind of weak. But Michael Kay is probably the weakest part of that broadcast. And we'll talk more about Michael Kay, I assume. But I think David Cohn's actually pretty solid. He he's pretty analytically in, inclined. He seems like a smart guy. He has obviously a ton of playing experience, great stories, and I like David Cohn. I, I think he will be a successful guy in the stage. Hope and I think people will come to like him. Obviously, he'll be very New York centric, so and a lot of people have experience with him. But I, I do think he will be a piece of guy that people enjoy listening to. And he like I think he'll be maybe the best you know, top baseball analyst we have, like, I think he'll be better than John Smoltz. Does he like baseball? Yes. I think he likes baseball Good. just from listening to him, him and, him and Paul O'Neill seem to very much enjoy baseball. And David Cohn seems to me to be more analytically inclined one and able to, you know, understand and digest concepts and explain them in, in a normal baseball sense. Yeah. I don't have a lot of experience listening to David Cohn because that would require watching Yankees games. Uh, who would do that? Um, but of the three people that they've added to the booth, it seems like he's the one that people are most excited about hearing. And that's that's good. I'll take anything over the previous iteration of the booth. So, uh, again, just from you, just from you alone, Jeremy, and you're not the only one to express this sentiment that I've seen. It seems like he's pretty smart as a broadcaster. He enjoys baseball, which, again, is a prerequisite or should be. Um, so I'm 
for as much Sunday night baseball as I will be watching, which uh, uh, I'm probably most excited to kind of get exposed to him and what he brings to a broadcast booth. So I have the least problem probably with them putting David Cohn in the booth. One interesting aside, I thought, and not to advertise other podcasts or baseball podcasts, but David Cohn is actually hosting, started hosting a uh, John Boy podcast recently. Hmm. He's got his own podcast on the John Boy Network. So that just kind of shows you where David Cohn is going in terms of places. Yeah, well, I mean, John Boy Media is popping. Uh, a lot of established broadcasters heading over there. A lot more freedom, I think, to do things there than with some of the big networks. But I'm excited for David Cohn. I, I am not that exposed to him as a broadcaster, but Jeremy, you're selling me on it. The other analyst uh, we've heard a lot of over the last couple of years here, Eduardo Perez, he gets the primetime slot here now on Sunday Night Baseball. Had a long career. He's been broadcasting for a while now. This is one that I would bet most baseball fans have at least seen him if they've seen any ESPN over the last decade. Yeah, I think Eduardo Perez, I mean, he's okay in my book. I, I don't think he's, he's, he's kind of a tough listen because I feel like sometimes just, you know, the way he talks, it's kind of tough to listen to. I, I, I think he likes baseball. I think he, he, another guy, he used to work the stat cast um, games with Benetti and uh, Mike Petriello. So very, you know, open to those types of things uh, in terms of analytics. So he's not closed off. You're not going to get a rod takes from Eduardo Perez. Is he going to be like an A plus announcer? I, I don't think so, but I think he's still an upgrade over what we've had. Yeah. Eddie Perez, uh, Eduardo Perez, he's not maybe the greatest broadcaster, not the greatest at kind of, uh, you know, explaining to the broadcast what he's getting across. But of course, he does have extensive experience as a player, as a coach uh, at a number of different levels. And again, he enjoys baseball. He enjoys discussing baseball uh, when there was absolutely nothing going on here professionally. And ESPN was doing their broadcast podcast over the broadcast of the Korean baseball organization games. Uh, Eduardo Perez was one of the ESPN voices to chime in on those. And I don't know that he had anything particularly insightful to say, but he seemed to enjoy watching and explaining and discussing these games coming from overseas. So again, I think he's another decent voice uh, in this broadcast booth. And even if he's not a great broadcaster, not great at explaining particular concepts, just kind of better at talking again, he's still better than the uh, former player to have previously sat in that seat. So as far as the analysts, we're going from Alex Rodriguez to David Cohn and Eduardo Perez. I think that in and of itself is an upgrade. So the play-by-play -play broadcaster also in transition, Vaskersian out, Carl Ravitch in as the play-by-play -play voice. He's been with ESPN forever, almost 30 years now. He's done quite a bit of play-by-play -play broadcasting over the years, but you most likely know him as the anchor or host or the face of baseball tonight. And not just the face, the awful toupee that yeah. you see every time you put on baseball tonight. I'll be honest, guys, very disappointed in this selection by ESPN. He's fine for his role in the studio, which, you know, that job is what it is. I think this is a disaster for your primary broadcast. This is your showcase with ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. Swing and a miss here with Ravage on play-by-play. -play. Yeah, I don't think Ravage is the best play-by-play -play guy. I think he's much better in the studio. He's obviously, as you mentioned, been with ESPN for a long time. He's been there basically their longtime baseball guy since baseball is kind of gone by the wayside. ESPN, he's still like the top baseball guy left. So it's kind of not surprising to me that he probably actively fought for this job being like, Hey, I've been around here and I've been the guy. It's kind of my, it should be my job. Like kind of, this it's is probably turn. like, yeah. yeah, his turn. 
So it's not surprising me that he's getting the shot. I agree with you. I think he's the weakest part of the booth. That said, I mean, Matt Vasgersian to me was kind of actively like annoying. Like, I don't need to hear <laughs> Santa Maria at the top of my lungs or all Santa this. Maria. You know, so if Carl Ravage can just kind of be a subtle, maybe just whatever, and let, you know, maybe David Coach shine and possibly Eduardo Perez, then I think it might still be a step up. Jeremy, you and I are on the same page here. We all got very tired of Matt Vasgersian. And Matt Vasgersian is a guy who is the voice of baseball for a lot of people between national broadcasts, between video games. Uh, we know Vasgersian has it in him to be this, this very capable, very energetic baseball broadcaster. And in his time with ESPN, it's just like he devolved entirely into shtick and to encouraging A-Rod to do his shtick. And the whole booth was just very shticky. Carl Ravitch is disappointing as a, a lead play-by-play -play voice. What I've heard from him has not been particularly encouraging. He sounds like a studio guy trying to do play-by-play -play as opposed to a play-by-play -play guy. But Jeremy, as you said, it's different brands of not good. Vashgersian is aggressively obnoxious. Ravitch is just kind of meh. So it's, it's, it's a lateral move. But even in that regard, it's kind of an improvement. It yeah, just seems like a big, big missed opportunity. I think Boog should have been in consideration for this. Jason Benetti, you know, I was critical of him at the start of his stint as a broadcaster on the South side. He's really won me over recently, particularly college basketball. We we're talking about this a little bit off air yesterday. I think Benetti would have been much better received by a national fan base. That I think that would have been the right move for ESPN if those were the three candidates. And I'm a Cubs fan saying that. So Big miss here with Ravich. I don't think it's going to be a long tenure of him as the play-by-play -play voice in Sunday baseball. And Ronan, it's funny you say that. Jason Benetti sitting in on the Chicago Bulls play-by-play -play tonight as hmm. Adam Amin heads out of town to do his national NFL work. Benetti's a very good broadcast. He's of the guys who rotated in and out nationally. He's one of the youngest. Um, and you can hear it in the references he makes in his broadcast. Most of them land pretty well with me. It's a lot of genre stuff. He's a very good broadcaster. And as much as uh, Joe Buck and John Smoltz are kind of the number one MLB booth, because of course that's your world series booth ESPN Sunday night baseball is the only national broadcast that is national that is nationwide and exclusive because Fox of course does multiple games over the course of a Saturday Sunday night baseball is your one truly national game. And again, they they've put Carl Ravitch as your play by play voice. It just, it feels like a colossal miss. Uh, yeah, as to Benetti, to go back, I, I agree with you. I think he's pretty good at college basketball. Also, college football, it doesn't do as much, I don't think, but college basketball, I like him. He did the uh, a Westwood one game on the radio with Will Purdue last night the, when the Illini beat down uh, Minnesota. But uh, Benetti on the White Sox games doing the baseball, I don't know. There's something still a bit off of me where I, I, I think – I, and it, I, cause like, I like Hawk and Hawk was a super Homer, right. But there's something about Benetti's version of Homerism that kind of rubs me more the wrong way <laughs> along with stone. So it kind of grates on me a little bit when I'm watching it, but you know, maybe as a national guy, I, I don't mind his stat cast broadcast. So um, as a national guy, that probably would go away. But all the more reason to get Benetti onto more national baseball broadcasts so that you don't have to worry about his white Sox Homerism. Seems like that's a win-win where I'm concerned and real quick, you want to talk well, about jarring. You work it into the game, Randall, and then you're even less happy. You want to talk about jarring is when you come across a white Sox radio clip 
and there's Len Casper's voice blasting oh. out at you unexpectedly. Like, wait yeah. a second, hold on, that doesn't seem right. Yeah, I, I listen to a lot of baseball games on the radio, just being out here driving around, and with the MLB TV subscription, I can pick up radio. Yeah, periodically put the socks on if the Cubs weren't playing. It never felt right at all. No, not uh, a bit. And when I was back in Chicago too, in May and June, and and just hearing it running errands up there in Glenview, it's like, oh, Len, what? Why? Why did you have to do this, Len? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I like Boog, but Len was great. And and I maintain that when Pat Hughes hangs it up another 20 or 30 years from now, of course, I hope. Len, Len comes back and takes that Cubs radio booth and it's his for another 40 years after that. So I maintain that. I think that's what's going to happen in the, in the far future. Let me ask hundred years in the future. Randall's got it Yeah, down. it'll be Futurama, Jeremy. They're going to be broadcasting as heads in jars. It's yeah. fine. Randall, let me ask you something. And Jeremy, you're welcome to chime in on this. Although you don't listen to a lot of radio broadcasts. You, I know that's not something that you hear as much maybe as Randall and I do. Uh, we can all agree with this though. One of the best things you can hear, especially in March and April, Pat Hughes, Chicago Cubs baseball is on the air. I mean, the first time of the year that you hear that, it's heavenly. And that's the distinct call. The Cubs are on the air. When Pat Hughes retires, and he uh, has his Hall of Fame career behind him. Is that a saying that should stay with Cubs radio, or do you let that go with Pat Hughes? So if Len Casper comes back, do you carry the tradition of Chicago Cubs baseball is on the air, or does that go with Pat? So I'll, I'll say this just off the top of my head. I think maybe, let's say Len or whatever other venerated broadcaster steps into that Cubs radio booth 30 years from now, I think maybe your very, very first broadcast, first spring training, first regular season, you lead with Chicago Cubs baseball is on the air. You say, Pat, that's for you. And then maybe you make it your own thing from there. I think you have to, you have to pay homage. You have to kiss the ring to the guy who came before you. And then from there, you can kind of make it your own. So I'm going to say mostly do something new, but you always got to leave a little bit of a tribute to the guy who came before you. I feel like that's become such like, you know, a, a Chicago Cubs thing. Now I would almost just like keep it just because it's like, you know, Chicago Cubs baseball is on the air. Like that, it gives you that feeling that of what it is. And obviously you're going to want to, you know, distinguish yourself in your own ways and come up with your own things, your own catchphrases, you know, yelling Santa Maria across Waveland Avenue or whatever at a Homer. But uh, when Matt Vaskersian steps in, uh, but you know, I, I kind of, you know, or maybe you just keep it as like, maybe, maybe the, the actual PPP guy, the play by play guy isn't what it but you keep that little radio bug, you know, canned bug beforehand. So when it's an introduction, it's like Chicago Cubs baseball is on it with Pat, you know, almost like how they have Pat, uh, Pepler or a Piper, uh, a Piper on the game uh, before the Cubs games. So doing the PA, yeah, doing the PA. So you keep that in. Yeah, you know, Jeremy, that that's not a bad idea at all. You know what is going to stick around forever, of course, are the uniform descriptions. The Cubs are in their home whites, blue yes. hats, number shoes, and socks. The uniform descriptions are brought to you by Benjamin Moore Paint. He's just a world class broadcaster, and he's got. It, it's interesting. Broadcasting has been through so many changes like think about how different len casper or boog or benetti is to vin scully right and vin scully is the greatest ever but just the style of broadcasting has changed the way people you know you can't do a baseball broadcast anymore unless you've got tweets on the screen over the course of the game so things have changed over the years pat and radio sort of has this timeless quality to it that pat hughes could have been a broadcaster in the 50s 
he's just sort of got that quality to him and it's going to be a sad day. I don't even think about it. It's going to be a nope. sad day when he's not calling games on the radio because that first time, especially a year that you hear Chicago Cubs baseball in the air, it gives you chills. And it's funny how your fandom of anything that you're into, anything that you're really invested in, there's certain things that a typical person would look at and go like, what does that mean? That means so much to you. Like if I say 120, if my watch reads 120 or 220, that's, you get old, a little style. Bit of, oh, that's old style. Exactly. Exactly right, Randall. And Pat Hughes is a part of so much of that on the radio side of things. Ronan, you mentioned these these things that wouldn't make sense to anyone else. What used to be what what used to be the thing I would make sure I was tuned in for was the WGN radio kind of clip intros to the broadcast. There would be one for the pregame show. There'd be one for the game. There'd be a, a very jaunty tune that was sung along with it. We could probably all sing it, but we're not going to. We don't want to subject our listeners to that. Uh, and during the, the mid 2000s, as the Cubs were at least interesting, they would edit together clips from the previous season. The 2004 intro had clips from the 2003 playoffs, including Sammy tying the game in the NLCS. And the, mm. every season, that would be what I'd try to tune in for in that first broadcast to see what WGN had edited together to use for the season. And again, that's the sort of tiny detail that somebody else would go, you're, you're listening to what to hear what? But that was that was always the big thing for me. You missed the leadoff, man. You missed the 10th inning show. You, these oh, are the things yeah. you miss. You missed yeah. Van Halen's jump. Yeah. Oh, Todd Wellemeyer, was he the one who got rid yeah. of that? I, yeah. yeah. Man. Just uh, all these things that tie you back to your fandom. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we'll talk about Boog again here in a minute. Let's talk about the other ESPN Sunday Night broadcast. So we know the popularity of the Manning cast. Eli and Peyton with a roving group of guests broadcasting Monday Night Football, an alternate broadcast to the primary booth. ESPN's got one hot thing, so they're going to try it with baseball. So what's the equivalent to Eli and Peyton Manning? Well, naturally, it's going to be Michael Kay and A-Rod. What the hell is ESPN doing here? I honestly don't know. I mean, the Manning cast is great. I love the Manning cast. It was a huge, you know, because first of all, that booth, uh, Steve Levy, not the best. <laughs> and Brian Greasy, not great either. Lewis Riggs, pretty fine. Um, but the Manning cast was a huge addition. I loved it. I watched it all the time. Unfortunately, when the Bears were playing, they didn't do it for nefarious reasons. So I was actually very why. disappointed in that. But I really enjoyed the Manning cast. And, and to be honest, I don't mind A-Rod as much in the studio as I do in as calling a game. But with Michael K, like... Uh, it's gonna be very Yankee centric, I imagine. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm kind of out. I mean, I might tune in for a little bit just to see what it is, but this does not sound appealing to me. This is designed the, for Randall. This yeah. clearly is designed for Randall. Ronan, you're right. It's designed for me. It's designed to piss me the hell off. <laughs> it, it, it feels very much like a decision that was made by somebody who hasn't the faintest clue what anybody likes about baseball, what anybody wants <laughs> in a broadcast, and. It, it's 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 asinine asinine is the word that comes to mind there are a lot of other words that come to mind but we'll stick with asinine i just can't imagine watching this i haven't watched any of the manning casts but i kind of see the appeal to that eli payton you got two good personalities breaking down football interviewing guests that's fine it, it, a rod doesn't have a, a thimble of the personality that peyton manning does peyton manning's a very funny guy underrated comedic timing a rod does not have that his version of comedic timing is sticking his nose in a jar of Matt Carpenter's rancid ass ketchup salsa. A-Rod has no comedic timing. And Michael Kay has not said anything worth hearing in how many decades? I, I just can't imagine what the appeal of this broadcast is. The, again, you said it's designed for me. It's designed to elicit a very specific reaction for me. It almost feels like the kind of booth, Ronan, you would pick. 
And I think there are some names you might put in that booth. Maybe they'll interview AJ Pierzynski and oh, really, God. like really make like it geared AJ. to me. Yeah, okay, yes, Jeremy. They, they can interview Joe West and it can be the Jeremy edition. Oh, I'd love that. AJ and Joe West would be phenomenal. God. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it, it, I just can't imagine even, even to test it out. I just can't imagine watching this even for a second. But honestly, AJ, AJ and A-Rod would be a better fit yeah. than A-Rod and Michael K. I mean, the Michael K thing doesn't make sense to me. He's longtime TV voice of the Yankees. Jeremy, you were bitching about their broadcasts yeah. 20 minutes ago on this podcast. It's the opposite of what what draws people to the Manning cast, to your point, Randall, is personality. And when Peyton and Eli are talking about football, you know you're listening to two people who know what they're talking about. You got Super Bowl championships, Peyton, one of the greatest of all time. I want to know what Peyton Manning sees when he sees a defense lineup because he's seeing things I don't see. So I want to know from his expertise what's out there. Michael Kay has nothing, nothing, nothing to contribute. If ESPN wanted to pull this off, you can't find two players in Major League Baseball with personality. I don't like A.J. Przinsky, but at least he's got a pulse. He's got a personality. In fact, I don't like him. That's sort of part of his personality. It just feels like this is, hey, we'll get a couple of New York viewers, so let's just do this and put the Yankees guys on the other broadcast. It's, it's trash. Uh, and I'm going to make it, to be honest, uh, I actually, as I said, I like A.J., and I think this would actually be a great thing for A.J. to do. And this is going to piss Randall off so much. <laughs> I thought one of the best booths I'd listened to last year was in the playoff game, the White Sox Astros, Adam Amin, AJ Przinsky, and Adam Wainwright. And if Adam Wainwright and AJ Przinsky were doing Sunday night baseball, I would watch that. I thought they were phenomenal. And Adam Wainwright, AJ Przinsky, you know, think that former their teammates, you know, as a battery as well, you know, pitcher catcher who, clearly know what they're talking about and love baseball and listening to the talk. That would be, I think a phenomenal broadcast. And I would love to listen to that. And as you say, Michael K, what does Michael K add? He doesn't add much. Like I do think if you get another player with a rod, you can maybe bring out a side of a rod, but if you're going to put him with Michael K, it's just going to be like a shtick show. And yeah. that's going to be annoying. Jeremy, why do you hate me? Why do you, why do you hate me so much that you would, <laughs> I just that you would suggest it. that? Yeah, no, 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 no thank nothing you. to do with you too. I just enjoyed it. No, thank you. I got some suggestions on what AJ Przinsky can do, and they all involve a cliff. What about Adam Wainwright? Yeah, you know he can. He can. I'll I'll draw the path for him. He can follow right behind them. It's just like a soulless decision from ESPN. The name is, is no, terrible. There's no oh, yeah. K Rod. Good K Rod. Yeah, I'd rather yeah. listen to Francisco Rodriguez. If it was Sunday Night Baseball, Francisco Rodriguez, I'd be in. I'd rather listen to Peter Francis Geraci. <laughs> <laughs> At least you'd get some good information about bankruptcy from him. Well, some good news here. Cubs are taking over ESPN radio. Boog back. He's been doing it for over a decade. He's the play-by-play voice. Doug Landville taking over as the analyst on ESPN radio. So if you're sick of the K-Rod broadcast, if Carl Ravitch's toupee is pissing you off, like it's going to piss me off. And let me tell you, I'm a bald man. And I own it. I shaved my head when it started falling off. Let it go, Carl. You look like an animal died on your head. That's not a good look on ESPN. If you're sick of that, all Cubs on the radio, Doug Glanville Boog. That will be a lot of fun. I am looking forward to some of that on Sunday nights. I'm, of course, a big Doug Glanville fan. I think he's an excellent broadcaster. I think he's brilliant. If you haven't read his book, The Game From Where I Stand, uh, easy to find copies of it. A great look at his minor league career, his major league career, some of the things he's experienced. Uh, so Doug Glanville should be getting more broadcast work. And this is an excellent, uh, an excellent step towards that. 
uh, I know he had uh, recurring national gigs with ESPN. He'd pop into the Wednesday night broadcast sometime, the Monday night broadcast. I believe this is his first regular weekly spot with them. And uh, all the congratulations to him. He deserves it. He's a great broadcaster. I think this is an excellent decision. And we know he has excellent chemistry with Boog uh, from their time, both with ESPN and with Marquis. So this is a great decision. I, I agree with you, Randall. I think uh, this is a good step for Doug Glanville. Uh, he's going to become a more to get into becoming a more prominent uh, baseball announcer. He's going to be the regular uh, color guy for the Sunday night broadcast, and they those radio broadcasts are every are weekly. And he's going to you know nine innings, so he's going to be the regular guy. It's not just him as a third guy in the booth or a you know popping in for a couple innings or whatever. I, so I think it's a good step for him. And I was actually surprised that this could be Boog's thirteenth season. So he's yeah. he's been doing this for a long time. Um, with the Sunday night. So it's, it's cool to see a couple Cubs, like the Cub broadcast doing it on the radio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Cubs all on the radio. We love Doug Glanville for many reasons, all the wonderful years with the Cubs. 2003 he came back, was a part of that magical team. Randall, I know you're with me on this. He loves the salt and pepper diner. You loved the salt and pepper diner. I miss it more than anything. Jeremy, I mean, the three of us, that was a tradition year after year after year. We sat in that diner and then we went to the ballpark and we know that Doug Landville loves it. So I hope Sunday Night Baseball gets exposed to some salt and pepper diner. That place was magical. He also brought us uh, one of your favorite players, Mickey Morandini. That's right. The dandy little glove man himself. So Cubs all on the radio. Randall, did you have something on salt and pepper diner? I know you got feelings on that. I do. You know, just professing my love for the late salt and pepper diner. I'm told it has reopened in a new location. I have yet to check that out. That is definitely on the to-do list. But uh, who 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 didn't love the salt and pepper diner? And you know, you can always tell a person by the the restaurants they frequent. And for Doug Glanville to have been a big salt and pepper guy, especially as a player, uh, it, it says volumes about him. It's it's an excellent judge of character, the salt and pepper diner. You know, there were a lot of opening days and there were a lot of just early season games in general. My my memories of the salt and pepper diner is more so April and May games than when you're in the middle of the summer. That's maybe more bar time. Not that you were drinking at salt and pepper, but you want to get eggs and things with your beer yeah. as opposed to the way things are. And they played more day games back then, too. The times have changed around the Cubs, but that was a very special place. And he talks extensively about the salt and pepper in his book. When, when it's summer, you want to sit out on the patio, have a few yeah. drinks. I, I, my recollection is like you, it's like a, like a 9, 10 a.m. on a, in April, having a few pitchers and some eggs. Knowing we're going to freeze for the next yeah. four hours. That's my recollection. And Randall asking for refills on milk. <laughs> Never will ever, ever, ever will forget that morning. Well, you know what? Sometimes you need a, a second glass of milk to wash down your French toast, Rona. You don't want to be, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be feeling that the rest of the day. Well, Let's get to some predictions here. I was thinking, you know, there's some folks in this podcast that enjoy a little bit of the sports wagering from time to time. So I thought let's throw some predictions out there. No money on this or anything. Randall, you've been compiling the list. This includes some listeners of the podcast, some previous guests we've had on the podcast. So let's get going here. Uh, start us off here. What are the predictions here in BTYL land on when the CBA disagreement will be resolved? All right, we will give you these guesses in order from earliest to latest. The earliest guess, February 10th, coming from Sean Hoagland, a former co-worker of Ronan's down in Tampa at the University of South Florida. Uh, again, he predicts February 10th that the lockout ends. Connor O'Shea, brother of host Ronan O'Shea, 
predicts February 14th, Valentine's Day, the day after the Super Bowl, as it was specifically given to us. I, myself, Randall, one of the co-hosts of this podcast. Hi, nice to meet you all. I'm saying February 15th. I do think they will get it done as spring training would be set to begin. I think that's kind of the wall they'll hit. Uh, Jeremy, the other co-host of the podcast, you've heard him once or twice. He predicts February 17th as the day the lockout ends. Ronan, our venerable host, it's his voice you hear, introducing and taking us out of every episode. He says not until March 1st. So Ronan is uh, our second latest guest. And then finally, one of our very loyal listeners, uh, Stan, who's always responding to us on Twitter, giving us feedback. We appreciate it very much. He is our latest guest. He says this lockout does not get resolved all the way until March 7th. So that is six guesses ranging from February 10th all the way to March 7th. But it does seem unilaterally like we're going to agree that it will get done sometime in February or March. So we're not overly optimistic they'll get anything done this month in January, but we do all seem to think that when they get to the point of potentially starting to lose spring training and when regular season games are in jeopardy, they will start to get something done and it'll get taken care of. Yeah, I picked a holy day. I picked uh, the day that our great one was born, uh, Michael Jordan, uh, mm. February 17th, 1963. Uh, but th- that date was just standing out. to I mean, it's also random. That day was just standing out to me just for some reason. And I, I feel like mid-February, as you said, it's you're going to have some negotiations. The, go- uh, the Major League Baseball is preparing to make a, uh, an actual offer on economic issues soon. I mean, their last offer was trash, so who knows what it'll be, but right. they are going to make an offer, and so that's good news. So hopefully that'll jumpstart some things, but nothing's going to happen until they feel pressure. That, and right. it's not it, until you get to deadlines. People don't do things until deadlines, so yeah, that's that, going to really make it when it's going to be solved. And that's yeah, exactly we, why I went with March 1st, because I thought, okay, what is the latest time that realistically gives you enough space to get players ready and still hold a couple of spring training games. And there's money to be made in Arizona and Florida. There's a lot of money to be made in Arizona and Florida, plus opening day at the 1st of April. So that is why I thought March 1st is like, that's the cutoff. If you get past March 1st, it's going to be very, very hard to start opening day on time. And then you risk not having a full season. Yeah, we are in our fifth week of the lockout. Of course, it began the evening of Wednesday, December 1st. Jeremy, as you said, the owner's, previous offer on the economic issues was a complete non-starter. So after a month of not talking at all, we know they didn't talk at all in December and they haven't talked at all in January. After a month of not talking at all, even a bad offer is more progress than discussing nothing at all. So again, hopefully the two sides get back to talking soon and we can get this resolved. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that I just picked it's, it's, as you said, spring training's coming. And I agree with you. They're going to want, to get some time and i just i feel like you know once it happens it's going to happen fast like once you actually start to go i'm not saying the negotiations will happen fast but once they actually start making progress and getting to a point of when it'll happen it'll happen fast because like they're like okay we got to a point where we can agree really it'll probably be wrapped up soon so i you know we'll see how many back and forth they have to do with uh in terms of their own offers and i'm just happy that to hear that by the end of this month, it's expected that Major League Baseball has to put out an economic issue. They did talk a little bit, some non-economic issues, but nothing really major that would ever solve this. So I, you just want them to get back to the table, get back to the, to the table and actually start talking. Absolutely. You want, the, you want them talking. Nothing's going to happen until they start that. Well, those that are thinking mid-February, around Valentine's Day or so, that, that is truly optimal. If you get past the Super Bowl, which is late this year, February 13th, you dominate the news cycle then after the Super Bowl is over and you can really take control of that in February. 
And, you know, look, when you think of Major League Baseball, I think the first thing that comes to mind is competent marking and logical decision-making, right? Those are the first things that come to mind when you think of baseball. Absolutely. So, hallmarks, hallmarks of the league. Right. So that's why March 1st, again, was the pick I went with. But uh, we'll see where this goes. I'm glad nobody said April 1st. I remember uh, the guy with ESPN Radio, Jesse Rogers. Yes. A couple weeks ago was talking 4th of July. Yeah. Being the opening day, like fuck off, dude. Don't even Ro plant that. Scene. Ronan, you mentioned you mentioned Wanker A, Wanker B earlier, <laughs> talking about MLB Network. Jesse Rogers is Wanker Alpha. Like he he supersedes numbers. He's just the the king of the wankers. I, I pray to God. Happy Fourth of July, for God's sake. That would be that would be a real disaster. But it's not going to get there. At least, and what are we going to talk about, folks? Yeah. But in July, there's, there's no too football. much money to be made to let it yes. go. I mean, especially after a year like last year, where you don't start till August or late July, like to start another year in July. I mean, come on. And, and I and I think at some point, like there's going to be some restlessness, like, hey, we have to get this done because we want to you know, sign some free agents here. So that I, I could see that actually impacting it a little bit. July 4th. Spare me. <laughs> well, when things get resolved, there's going to be a lot of changes across baseball rule changes. I was talking, you could lose April 1st, then you're not going to get a full season. Possibly the 162 games could be adjusted depending on playoff expansion. So there's a lot of things that could happen. We're going to get some clarity on that over the next month or so. A fan of the podcast, our old buddy, Mike Vanderhorst, gave us an idea. He said, I was reading an article. He's up there in Providence, Rhode Island. He's got the Boston Globe Sunday edition, the first day of the year here. And he was reading an article by Peter Abraham in that Sunday sports section, 22 ideas to improve baseball in 2022 and beyond. And I wanted to go through it because 22, that number means so much to this podcast. So let me go through these again. This was published by Peter Abraham. You can find it on bostonglobe.com. Number one, this one I think we all agree is inevitable, whether it's good or bad is moot incorporate the universal DH. We assume this is pretty much a lock, right? In inevitable, and I agree with it. Yeah, I assume that's happening. Second pick here from the Boston Globe, discourage tanking. And uh, a lot of things that, guide, that gets tied into that, I think we all agree, Major League Baseball would be better off if more teams were trying to win all of the time. Agree. I, I, yeah, I agree with that. I, I just feel like it's very difficult to do, but I'm open to proposals. This third one, I don't know how you do it other than maybe expanding the playoffs. Rescue Mike Trout. What would you say to that? Well, it sounds like a job for conservationists, rescuing trout. So I feel like we could maybe turn to the science world, the, the naturalist world. Uh, how do you rescue a trout? I don't I don't I don't think Mike Trout could be rescued. I think I mean if Mike Trout wanted to be rescued, he would have not signed a 12 year $430 million deal. And that is true. You don't also like who wants to be rescued from that? Like he's getting four hundred thirty million dollars. So yeah. <laughs> so, sorry. I, sorry. Department of hatcheries and fisheries. Your, your services aren't needed anymore. I, I do think Anaheim is going to be a, a really competitive team next year. I think that they will be in fact a playoff bound team, but that kind of ties us into the next one here. This is the one thing about all of the CBA agreement that I feel most passionately about. And I know I'm going to be on the losing side of it. The author writes, don't expand the postseason." That's what I want more than anything. I don't want the regular season devalued by putting 14 out of 30 teams potentially in the playoffs. We're going to get postseason expansion. I really don't want it. I think that's going to end up being bad for baseball, even if it means more revenue for baseball. I, I agree with this. Keep the postseason as it is. Don't expand it. I, I would just say, I mean, it's going to happen. What it is and how it is, is going to, 
that's going to be what matters is what's the format? What's the thing? You know, how many teams is it going to be 14? Is it going to be 12? Who knows? And how, what's the format going to be? But other than that, it's going to happen. That, 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 yeah. that's a fact. That has me thinking, I hope it's six each league instead of yeah. seven. Seven is a lot. You're talking about almost half of the league making well, the playoffs. Definitely not eight like last year or two but years it's ago, not I guess. Like, it's not like the NBA where an eight seed cannot beat a one seed. In baseball, that would happen all of the time. So if you're going to play for six months only to have an 85-win team beat a 103-win team in a short series, that's really stupid. And that that devalues the product all year. So that's one thing that I do not want to see happen. But it, you're right, Jeremy, it's going to happen. Let's hope it's six each uh, in each league instead of seven. And let's hope the format, you know, helps out a little bit because there, there are ways you can do things. Like, you know, obviously giving first number one seed a buy or something in some way. So let's hear what the format is as well. Number five, keep the extra innings rule. I say no thanks. You know, it, it, caveat here, if you're going to keep it, don't institute it till the 11th inning. If it has to stay, limit it in that fashion, but just assume don't keep it at all. I, I would agree with what Randall said, except for I would like put it to like the 12th inning. Sure. I would say like put in the 12th. I'm fine with that. Yeah, that's something we have talked about. Something like 80% of extra inning games are over by the 12th inning. So let's play real baseball for a couple more while preventing the 18, 19, 20 inning drag fest. Although it's not a drag fest to me. I actually really enjoy yeah, those games. I've been to an 18 inning game. You and I have been to some late nights at Wrigley yeah. Field over the years. And But if you're going to have the extra inning rule, have it start in the 12th. How do you feel about this, Jeremy? Limit the number of pitchers on the roster to no more than 12th. I actually like that, and I don't think that will ever happen because any roster spot that opens up is always just going to be filled pretty much by a pitcher. And I think they should limit more pitchers, but I don't think anybody wants that, especially, you know, pitchers are always getting hurt and everything. It's So I, I just don't see it, but I, I would be totally for it. No, don't, don't, don't fiddle with roster limits. We've already said you can only use you know, X number of pitchers per inning by way of the, the, the three batter rule. Don't, don't put limits on the roster. Come on. I think it would make the game so much better. I'm, I'm against, I, I would be hundred percent for it. I, there's too many pitchers. It's just a brand. Every pitcher you, you bring a guy up, you throw the guy down. There's 14, 15 guys on a row. Like it's, it's too much. Yeah. I, I mean, they wouldn't do it. I don't think they'll do it, but you know, I, I would want a limit of pitchers. So like, like guys pitch a little bit. So it's not like, okay, you pitch, you know, whatever. Now we just, send them down and bring our next 95 fresh arm in. It, it, it would make it easier for hitters a little bit. I'd be interested too, to see sort of the players association reaction to that. Cause you're kind of putting player on player right. at that point, it would open up more position player, major league slots. And if you're in the majors, you're making good money. It would mean fewer pitcher opportunities in baseball, unless the league were to expand. So that would be interesting for the owners to kind of let the players fight amongst themselves for a bit. I don't think it would happen. I, I think yeah. even teams wouldn't want it. So I, I don't think it would happen, but I think it would make the game better. I think it would be a huge improvement for the actual game of baseball. Do you agree with this? Number seven, do not ban shifts. Agree. Agree. Stop fiddling with things. Uh, I would like to see the results of all the, the tinkering Theo has been doing. And I would, it depends. Like if, if it makes the game better, I would be for it. If it doesn't affect the game, then I'm not for it. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to see, uh, batters being a little bit more uh, uh, I don't, willing to go the other way and just take the single or the double instead of pulling it into a, a big shift. Uh, number eight, institute a pitch clock. Is this something that would improve the sport of baseball? Yeah, I'm good. 
I, I think it's a thing that's going to happen. And I think that eventually, I, I don't think people, it happens in college baseball, it happens in the minors. I think people are just not going to pay attention to it. I mean, I'm talking about fans and other people. Like, it's not going to be a thing. Like, it's just going to be natural that pitchers are going to be pitching in during this time. So, I don't know. It might help a little bit. I do want to see pace of play improve. There are multiple ways they can do it, including shortening the commercial breaks between innings, yes, but obviously you can't do that. Um, I mean, in some ways, they're incorporating more commercials into broadcasts, which could pave the way for them realistically cutting time between innings if they're incorporating more ads in mid-inning. You can decide what's better there. But I, I, you know, I love the fact that baseball doesn't have a clock. I don't think a pitch clock necessarily ruins that sort of vibe around the sport right because the game still doesn't have a clock on it right win or you lose it takes as many innings as it's going to take having the pitcher just sort of get the ball to the catcher and really it should be a batter's clock as well the batters waste so much time yeah stepping out adjusting their gloves that stuff needs to be enforced more by umpires and that would add up over the course of a game the next rule change actually would have a major impact also on the pace of play in games fix replay jeremy i think you're leaning more and more towards eliminate replay i am i uh, replay i think has not really hasn't solved any of the issues that we've really looked for it i think it's become it's actually made certain things worse and it's made the game take longer and i think that yeah i i would just if i don't know how you fix it because everything you're gonna do to fix it is gonna have errors so I'm actually leaning more towards eliminating it as well. Yeah, I, I can't get behind eliminating it. How many times do we see a play uh, at first base where a guy is off the bag by a foot, but the umpire is out of position and he can't tell? You need a mechanism, in my estimation. You need a mechanism for fixing the egregious misses. If you want to modify it and make make new rules as to what you can and can't challenge i agree maybe we shouldn't be using it to examine if the base runner came off the bag for a second that's fine but you need a mechanism for overturning the egregious challenges umpires are getting worse and worse or maybe it just seems that way you need a way to overturn it when they just miss a call so badly you need a way to overturn that you need a mechanism for that fix it if you want don't get rid of it completely I, I don't think there's a possible way to fix it, though, because no matter what you do, there's always going to be like the breaking it down and you breaking it down slow motion. And then it's like like if, if there's a way to only get it to make egregious calls and that's it, then I would be on board with that. But that's an impossibility because every it's going to always end up being whatever the, some close thing is. And I think that just makes the game worse. And I'd rather live with an egregious bad call that's been happening in base. I mean, there's still bad calls. There's still egregious bad calls that are made with replay. But there are um, fewer because you can overturn. You can overturn some. I, are there fewer? I don't know. There's tons of times, like as you just brought up, where a guy's sliding into you know a base, and now we have to take a five minute you know to look at Zapruder esque film over whether or not he was off the base for a centimeter. And whether or not that's an out or he's safe. And, and I think that makes the game worse. I think, you know, 150 years, that's just a safe or an out. And it is what it is. And now we got to like, oh, I can't quite tell. And then, and, and there's other calls that are made that, you know, certain guys on this angle, people get mad about, but like, well, we didn't see all the angles. So I, I just, I think, I think the game would be better off. I mean, people might be mad over egregious calls, but egregious calls are going to be made. And, and that's just how it is. I'm just not in favor of letting perfect be the enemy of useful. And we, we don't have to spend more than more, yeah. more time yeah. on this. I'm just not in favor of letting perfect. Be the I don't enemy think of it's useful. useful. I don't think that's a useful aspect of replay. I think that actually actively harms the game. Well, I think what's particularly egregious about it is the amount of time it takes for them to identify whether the batter was safe or out or, you know, whatever they're deciding on replay, 
they have too much authority, I think, with the home plate umpire, the crew chief on site at the ballpark when they should be more proactive. Anything that's close, they should already be watching ahead of time in New York that they can instantly make a decision that goes into an earpiece to the umpire. They don't need this whole thing where the umpire has to get off the field, walk over to the dugout. It takes way too much time for them to actually institute replay on it. If you've got umpires, and this would probably appease the umpire union in New York, watching the monitors, anytime the close play happens, they're already watching multiple examples of the replay before the umpire has to saunter over to the third base dugout, put on a headset and start talking to him. Sure, Speed the it. process just, up. Absolutely. If you're going to have it, you got to speed it up. Absolutely. Keep it and speed it up. Do what you can to improve it. I'm just not in favor of getting rid of it entirely. Jeremy, I understand you are. That's fine. We can agree to disagree. I, bad for baseball. How about this? I don't even know how you do this. Eliminate sign stealing. Yeah, I don't know how yeah, I don't, why you, you do know. that. Uh, number 11, bring back the stolen base. I agree. I miss yes. the stolen base. Guys moving on the base paths. That's something analytically, unless you're stealing 80% of your bases, you're hurting your team in the long run. Teams don't run anymore. It's exciting watching a guy sprint from first to second and the catcher try to throw him out. Baseball is better with more stolen bases and more guys in motion in general. 100% agreed. And that's why, you know, we're tinkering with all these different things and, and trying to fiddle with the game a little bit on, on the minor league level. And there's, it, in order to, you know, make it better for guys to steal, make it more incentive there, you're going to have to make some sort of changes. And I would be in favor of them. Numbers 12 and 13, I know we agree with because we've talked extensively about it on this show. Number 12, market players more effectively. Without a doubt, baseball is full of exciting, young, photogenic players international players some of the great stars in baseball right now are from canada they're from japan they're from all across latin america they're from right here in different cities and states across the united states it's a truly global game market those players number 13 unleash your young stars we've also talked about this changing the cba so that it encourages teams to bring up players earlier. This thing that the Cubs did with Chris Bryant, let's let him go to Des Moines for a week and a half before he can come up in 2015. Don't encourage that. We all know Chris Bryant could have been a Cub in 2014 if the CBA was different. It's better for the sport if the Stars are playing in the Major League City instead of in AAA cities or AA cities across the country. Number 14 I'm curious about. Old man in the upper deck, quiet down. This writer from the Boston Globe says ballparks are too loud these days. Is that the case? I, I mean, I've spoken at length about what I think about the ballpark in Arizona and Dodger Stadium with the electronic drums. I think they could stand to do, have a little less chaff, but, you know, did quiet down. It just sounds like he's telling people to like not cheer as loud. So some of this is a little old man yelling at cloud for me. Some of these ideas are actually really good, but some of this is just like this guy's going to the ballpark and shaking his fist at everything he doesn't like. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I assume he's talking about like stadium sounds in terms of like act, yeah. like what's Music being played. And, yeah. Yeah. The presentation. I could get behind that a little bit. I mean, I, I assume he's not telling, cause like, if he's, cause the, the, First, it's what you're saying that it's like, is he telling fans to shut up? No, no, PA like, system. No, I know, I know. Yeah. I, but um, actually, and when you're in the bleachers at Wrigley, the PA is kind of hard to hear. So I, I say turn that, turn that up, <laughs> so we can all hear it a little bit better. But uh, you know, I there are ballparks where it's like really loud and annoying and obnoxious. And like, yeah, I don't need any of this. Number fifteen, mic up more players. We've had some fun the last couple of years. Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and spring training. Is there room for that in the regular season? 
I will say this, it, what we've gotten has often been pretty funny. I think it's one of those things they could stand to do a little bit more, but you'd want to do it real sparingly because I could see this getting really old really fast if you overdo it. I enjoy it. I like it a lot. I I, I would go for it, except I don't. I wouldn't want it to happen to any Cubs. <laughs> I, I want my Cubs focusing. Like when they did that in the playoff game with the White Sox, hey, I was all for it. I don't want that happening for a Cubs playoff game. Number 16 here happened. ESPN <laughs> created a Manning cast. No, they tried to. Uh, the writer here suggested former players, Dustin Pedroia, Torrey Hunter, Pedro Martinez, were the names that this writer from the Boston Globe suggested. We threw a couple other names out there. Wayno and Alex AJ. Rodriguez and Michael K. So number 16 happened. A couple more here. Number 17, we got this this year, a winter trade deadline. Is that something we want to see stay? I no, I, I I want you to be able to make moves all the way up until whenever. No, that it feels extremely artificial. It would be instituting it for the sake of instituting it, and yeah, it would feel really artificial to me. Although yeah. I will say, in terms of this year, we did get a lot of action, so it would probably create some action. So maybe there would be something there, but I, I I'd rather you know, if if it's you know January and the guy gets hurt playing basketball or something, you want to be able to make a move. <laughs> Right, and it's action over a couple of days followed by no action versus right. an off-season where there's periodically action. So I don't like that at all. No. I'm with the writer on this one, number 18. No advertisements on uniforms. We already got that Nike logo. Randall, we're getting closer and closer to a Sloan toilet on the front of the Cubs' home white uniforms. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree with Mr. Abraham here. No advertisements on uniforms, please. I'm against it, and I, I think it will be terrible for the game. However... I think that I'm for it because it's what the players will offer to get more of what they want and try to make the game a little bit better on their end. So in that sense, sometimes you have to be practical, but I think it will be horrible to watch and to look at. Four to go here. Number 19, All-Stars should go to the All-Star game. There were 17 players that bailed on the All-Star game last summer in Denver. Keep in mind with COVID, it's a little bit different than a typical year. I think the gist of it, though, or the theme that he's getting at, we probably agree with this. You want the best players in the sport playing on that big stage, whether it's at Coors Field or Dodger Stadium or Wrigley Field a couple of years. You want to see the best players at the All-Star game. It is clearly the best All-Star game of any of the pro sports. Number 20, I know we agree with this because we talked about it last time. Make Hall of Fame votes public. Everybody benefits from that. Agreed. Number 21. Retire number 21 for Sammy. Uh, no, just kidding. Roberto Clemente. <laughs> That's a classy move. I'm on board with that. And Sammy. And then number 22. And here, Jason Markey. And Jason Markey. Number 22 here. Have local vo voices incorporated in World Series broadcasts in October. So Joe Buck still doing the primary broadcasts. But what if for a couple of innings in a Cubs-Cleveland World Series, you get Boog or Pat Hughes calling the game? You get, uh, who is it? Tom Hamilton, I think, is the broadcaster for the Indians, or uh, Guardians, as they're called now. Would that improve World Series broadcast to bring some local broadcasters into the national mix? I'd say this idea doesn't take it far enough. I don't need a few innings from Pat Hughes or from Boog. Uh, give me a whole broadcast of the the whole the home TV booths. Make it alternate. Allow the teams to send their their home TV booths to the ballparks. So, you know, you might have run into some problems with space. Not every ballpark has necessarily like three TV booths. Plus, you got to fit in two more radio crews and then a national radio crew. So you might run into some issues with space, but 
this is one of the things that I actually like that the NBA and the NHL do is they have the local booths called the first and second rounds before it goes fully national from there. Have more local broadcasters involved. Absolutely. You listen to these guys all year. These guys are part of your experience. And then you lose your local TV booth completely once you get to the playoffs. I, I was actually reading an article today uh, from the defector about how local broadcast should have more local flavor and should sound more like local. And in terms of the broadcasters themselves. So I think you need to get some guys there with some like real Chicago accents, some guys, you know, with a Cleveland accent, which is not too far from Chicago accent, you know, get them, get some real fans, get some real flavor, you know, maybe, maybe a Cleveland guy in the Chicago booth and in the uh, Chicago dugout and a Chicago guy in a Cleveland dugout. And then we're really cooking. That's how I would like to see it. All I could hear from Randall was there was saying that how badly he wants to hear Steve stone calling a Cubs yeah. white Sox world series. Exactly. Steve Stone. cringing. Well, 22 ideas there from the Boston Globe. Uh, mixed bag. A lot of good ideas in there. Some not so practical. Thank you, Mike, though, for the suggestion. Final thing on the Cubs front, number 51, our 51st podcast. Lots of guys have worn 51 in Chicago Cubs history. The names that I love most are kind of from that era. Terry Adams throughout the mid-90s. Remember Mel Rojas in 1997? He wore 51. Couple other names that I love: Sarge Jr., Gary Matthews Jr. in 2000, and then Juan Cruz, the hard-throwing right-hander, starter, bullpen guy, 01 to 03. That's the vibe when I hear 51. Who else jumps out at you as a 51? Yeah, 51, another one of those journeyman numbers that has not been on anybody particularly notable. What I do laugh about is that it was on John Lester. But of course, not the John Lester. It was the Lester who spelled his name uh, the very British way, L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R, swingman for the 2004-2005 Cubs. Uh, so the, the original John Lester. But you have names on here like Dwayne Underwood Jr., Ryan Kalish, Jack Leathersitch. Does anybody remember Jack Leathersitch? I didn't, but I do now only because I saw the name. And of course, Steve Clevenger, the player who netted the Cubs, Jake Arrieta and Pedro Strobe, two of the most impactful players in modern franchise history. So it's very much another one of these journeyman numbers. And there's probably going to be a lot of these coming up. The Cubs have not had a whole ton of distinguished players with numbers in the 50s or in the 60s. So you can look forward to this going forward. Is us listing off journeyman after journeyman after journeyman. And if that's not a reason to keep listening to us at Behind the Yellow Line, I don't know what is. Yeah, I, I, I recognized the... Uh... Uh, Jack Larson, but the name I did not recognize is Ben Rowan. That name I do not recognize on the list. He was a side armor, and he had a very brief cup of coffee with your Chicago Cubs. I remember Uh, him coming up, uh, and I remember him leaving, and the two things happened uh, pretty close to one another. Yeah, Dwayne Underwood, as you said, Sergio Alcantara. Um, And a name that sticks out to to me, Heathcliff Silcom. So uh, on the list as a a former Cub. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting name as we're getting more and more into these higher numbers you see more journeyman relievers so but uh you know there's some names on there first worn in 1932 frank demery wore it and then uh Alcantara here back in 2021 we're juan gonna have cruz. some fun next oh yeah you know i love juan cruz that 01 cubs team near and dear to my heart 52 next week we're gonna have a lot of fun there are some names in there that people have not heard in many many years and we're looking forward to getting into, into that including a name that may be tied to the Super Bowl. So we'll get into that next week with number 52. Guys, let's end with two final questions here. We're going to go bad. We're going to go good. So we'll start with the Bears. They're at Minnesota Sunday. A win gets them to seven wins. Will the Bears get to seven wins this season? Jeremy. 
yes, I think the Bears will get to seven wins. I think the Vikings are going to be out of it. They're, they got eliminated from the playoffs. I don't think they're going to care. And I think the Bears are going to end up just getting to seven wins. Matt Nagy is going to finish with a 35 and 30 career record as Bears over 500 by five games. And I think that's what's going to happen. I'm very ready for the, the Nagy and Pace saga to be completely over or at least partially over. I am very, very tired day in and day out. Will he be fired? Will he not be fired? Will he be kept around, elevated to a different position? I'm ready for it to be over. Yes, I do think they beat the Vikings because we all know the Vikings are crap. Um, Kirk Cousins will be back just in time to lead his team to defeat, which is what he's getting paid to do. So I do think the Bears will win. But even if they don't, I'm ready for the season. And I'm ready for this era of Bears football to be over. Get a good coach in there for Justin Fields. I beg you. Yeah, Jeremy, you can spot that 35 and 30 record all you want. I will come back with zero playoff wins. So you don't win playoff games. The Bears have to be held to a higher standard. And that's not just Nagy. That's pace. Yeah. If you're not winning playoff games, you got to be out. And they both had enough time to put that together. So hopefully the door shuts on both of them. We saw a report. Nagy's going to be done. We saw another report from Randall's guy, Hub Arpish, Arkish, Hub Arkish. No, that- you were right the first time. Hub Ar- <laughs> Arpish. Uh, that uh, Pace maybe have a new role in the organization moving forward. So mm, and similar reporting know. in the Tribune today that they uh, people expect that Pace might stick around as well. Let's talk a uh, brighter note here. Chicago Bulls red hot. Another win tonight. They are 26 and 10. Randall, they scored 130 points tonight. No offense is up in the NBA, but it seems like every night, 115, 120, 130. Bulls don't seem to be having issues scoring points from what I can see. Nine straight wins for your Chicago Bulls. The first time they've had put together a nine game winning streak in over 10 years. Their last nine game winning streak closed out the 2010, 2011 season. That was a 62 win Bulls season. They would uh, lose in the Eastern conference finals. We all remember, but nine straight wins for your Chicago Bulls. And Jeremy, I know you're a big university of Illinois fan. I've heard that once or twice. Our guy, Ayo Dosumu, 18 points, a career high in his young career tonight. He's playing key minutes for this team. This Bulls team is fun to watch right now. I say it every week. The, the Bulls should be appointment viewing for everyone. Ronan, I know you're not completely sold yet. I know a long way to go. We've all seen the, the 90s teams, and nothing's ever going to live up to that. This Bulls team is fun, and they deserve your eyeballs. Yeah, Io got his oh, sorry jersey honored last night, so a big showing out tonight. And DeMar was at the game last night in Champagne. He was, because so cool. DeMar, DeMar is a stand-up guy. Well, it's definitely reinvigorated my dad's interest in the Bulls, just having an Illini out there playing a lot of minutes, too. I see 31 minutes tonight for Io off the bench, so he's definitely getting some face time. Randall, the NBA season feels like a slog to me because so many teams make the playoffs and have to, particularly in the East, the bottom four teams have no hope. You've got a little bit of battling up at the top. I think this Bulls team come playoffs, assuming there's no major injuries and they'll probably be aggressive at the deadline that's going to be really interesting basketball to watch in what April, May, June, when the playoffs are rolling, hopefully the second, the second season. That's right. Ronan, you're not wrong. The NBA season is quite lengthy. And as you often say, it doesn't quite feel like worth watching until Christmas or new year's or so, but we have this bulls team to watch. And as you said, barring catastrophic unforeseen circumstances, they are going to keep us entertained for the better part of the next four to hopefully five or six months. And I'm looking very forward to it. Well, you know what I'm looking forward to? Episode number 52, because we are going to record next Thursday, the 13th of January, the 35th birthday for Randall J. Sanders. So if you're still listening to this podcast, bless you for sticking with us so late here. 
We're going to be back next week. It's going to be Randall's birthday. Send him a happy birthday wish out on Twitter. If there's anything you want to talk to us about, send us a tweet at BTYL podcast. Give us your ideas. When is this CBA going to end? We want to know the dates. We'll keep that going. And we'll be back next week for another edition of Behind the Yellow Line.